We had last week looked at the power of Jesus and looked at the miracles that he did. And for most people, that is the most exciting thing about Jesus' ministry. The fact that he was able to do the impossible and do the miraculous and knowing that he can do so in our lives. But the reality is what was more important in Jesus' ministry was what he actually taught. He would teach, say that he was the Messiah, and people rightly would ask, prove it. Now, how, how can you tell us you're the Messiah and teach with authority and then expect us to believe it? And then Jesus would do his miracles and show that he was the Son of God and his miracles backed up his teaching. But the most important thing was the teaching itself. And as we continue the Gospel of Luke, today we learn more about what Jesus taught as he began his ministry. Now his teaching was different from all the other rabbis. Their teaching was often based in tradition. It was based on what Rabbi so-and-so said. And so when they would teach the people, I'm sure they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said that, and our forefathers and everybody in the past did this and that, and so that's what they would teach. And when Jesus came, he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Do you hear the authority in those words? Jesus was looking at what the past had said and what rabbis had said and what tradition had said. And basically he was saying, don't listen to that. Listen to what I am saying. And of course Jesus could do that because he is God. And when he speaks, he speaks with authority and the people recognize that. In Luke chapter 4 it says, they were astonished at his teaching. Because his message had authority. The people were drawn to it. Because it was different. Because it was life changing. It had meaning. It had power. It had authority. And so Jesus taught in the synagogues. Jesus taught in homes. And Jesus taught to the crowds. And at the beginning of his ministry, his teaching was very focused and the message simple. It was the message that the kingdom of God is here. Remember, John the Baptist preached, the Messiah is coming. Be prepared for his coming. Be prepared for his kingdom. Now Jesus is there. He says, this is the good news. I'm here. You are waiting for the Messiah. I am here. What you have been waiting for for centuries, it's happening now. And so Luke tells us that it was, Jesus said, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. That was the reason Jesus came. That was his purpose. This town was trying to keep him at home with them. They liked what they were hearing. They were liked what they were seeing. They said, Jesus, stay with us. Jesus said, I can't. I've got another town, another village. I've got more people to tell that I, the Messiah, am here. And wherever the king is, that is where his kingdom is. 
And Jesus was proclaiming this good news. If the king is there, his kingdom has rules for how you are to live. Isn't that true? Each country has its own rules. And each culture has its own rules about how to act, what to say, what not to say. And so likewise, Jesus, when he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, also taught how to live in that kingdom. He's the king. If you want to be his subject, this is how you live. And so in the Gospel of Luke, we come to a passage that is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And you have probably said, I have never heard of that. I thought it was the Sermon on the Mount. What is the Sermon on the Plain? Well, the Gospel of Matthew, we are told Jesus went up a mountain and began to teach. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that he was on a level place or a plain, and he gathered his disciples to him, and then he started to teach. So this is either the same day and he kind of taught or moved around the mountain and the plain or something, or these are two different occasions. Some think it's the same because the, the messages are very similar. They begin with beatitudes. They end with the same parable. A lot of the same stuff in between. But they are also different. And it literally says they take place in different places, a mountain and a plain. I imagine Jesus didn't say one, one excuse me, Jesus didn't say something only one time. He probably said it over and over again as he went from town to town and place to place. Any good evangelist has several sermons that he preaches over and over and over again because they're good and that's what he does. So I'm sure that Jesus taught the truths that are in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain more than once or twice. This was his message of how to live in his kingdom. So this is an excellent example of Jesus' teaching, and we're going to go through it this morning to see how we are to live if we want to call ourselves children of the King. In Luke's account, Jesus begins with four blesseds. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, those who weep, and those who are persecuted. And Jesus said, woe to those who are rich and full and who laugh. And people speak highly of you. In Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But not here. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. People without money. People without means. When you look at the list, it seems kind of backwards. It is backwards to our world's values and standards. That the poor, hungry, and crying, and persecuted are happy and blessed. And the rich, the satisfied, those who are laughing and famous are the ones that Jesus says, woe to you. On the surface, it may seem odd. But as you think about it and understand the values of Jesus and his kingdom, it makes perfect sense. You see, first of all, those who are rich, are often tempted to depend on themselves and their wealth. Those who are satisfied, those who feel like they have everything, those who have no care in the world, those whom people reap praise on and don't we reap 
throw praise on people who are wealthy and famous. We just love to tell them how great they are. And people who have all of that often then say, what do I need God for? I've got everything. I don't need Him. And also, a lot of people who attain those things have given up a relationship with God. They have cast aside following God to attain the riches and the satisfaction they have in this life. And Jesus is saying if you are independent and don't depend on God or you chase after these things and cling to them, you are sad and you are a woeful person. On the other hand, a person who is dependent upon God. And the poor often are. If you are a poor person who wakes up in the morning and you do not know where your food is coming for for the day, don't you think you're praying the first thing in the morning? If you don't know where you're going to live the next week because you have no money to pay the rent, don't you think you're praying? You see, people who don't have often are very dependent on God every moment and are asking and are reaching out and are praying, saying, help me, God, I need, I need. And it's also true that people who are focused on a relationship with God and following Him in obedience often will give up riches and they will go hungry. And as they minister, they will weep. And they will be persecuted for their faith. And even though they will sacrifice and lose what the world values, Jesus calls them blessed. Because they value what's most important. Dependence on God and a relationship with Him. Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, not here in the, His Sermon on the Plain. He talks about how if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, what good is that? And the opposite is true. If you lose everything this world has to offer but you gain your soul and you gain eternal life, a relationship with God, you've gained everything. That's what Jesus is saying. These are His values. These are kingdom values that we also should have. Then Jesus tells us that we should treat other people as we would want them to treat us. We call this the golden rule. And Jesus then uses examples of it by talking about love. He says to love our enemies. Now it's easy to say that we love people, isn't it? Oh, I love everybody. Well, do you? Where's the proof that you love everybody? Jesus says if you say you love everybody, how about doing some good things for them? Your enemies, people that hate you. And pray for them. And bless them. That's the doing something to show that you actually love your enemy. When your enemy hits you on the cheek, you don't punch him back. If your enemy takes your coat, Jesus says, give him your shirt too. Jesus says to give when anybody asks anything of you, give it to them. And don't ask for it back. Do things for other people without expecting them to do good for you in return. 
You see, this is supernatural love. This isn't natural. Human nature does not act this way. Human nature is, I love people who love me back. I love people who can give me something. If someone hates me, I hate them back. If someone punches me with one fist, I punch them with two fists. If someone takes something from me, I take twice as back from them. That's how we think as humans. But Jesus says to love as God loves. I hope you realize all of us are enemies of God because all of us are sinners. God, Paul says, when we were his enemies, that's when God loved us. Aren't you thankful that God loves his enemies? Not only loves them by saying, oh, I love everybody. Jesus came and died for us, sacrificed his life. That's how he showed his love for his enemies. So Jesus says his kingdom value is love and to love like he loves. And it's completely different and radical from how the world loves. I love how he emphasizes the fact that how many of us, don't we you know, invite people over to dinner who can then invite us over to their house and uh, we help people so they can help us, and we're very reciprocal in our love. And Jesus says anybody can do that. You can take the most wicked, most sinful person, and they do that. I don't know what you imagine to be the most sinful person in the world. Imagine that person, they love that way. They'll love people who love them, they'll invite people over to dinner who invite them back, they do that. Jesus says, no, I want you to Love like I love. Love the unlovable. Love your enemies. Because Jesus says this is how the Father is. God is merciful to the wicked. So if God is merciful to the wicked, can't we love our enemies? And then Jesus talks about how we are to live our life by having these examples of a principle that's repeated in Scripture... A man reaps what he sows, as Paul says in Galatians 6, 7. But Jesus says the same thing by using these examples. He says, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and to give. Jesus says, our, our Father is merciful. And he says, therefore, do not judge others or you will be judged. Do not condemn others or you will be condemned. Those are negative examples. On the positive side, if you give generously, people will give back to you. And if you forgive others, they will forgive you. These are simply simple examples of how if we live a Christian life as God lives and as God shows us, we will in return have people treat us that way. It's not our place to judge people and to condemn them. That's God's place. We're not judge. We are ones who are to proclaim the truth, but the truth in love. Yes, we can call things sin, and we can quote scripture. We can tell people what God is like. Yes, we can do that as we do it in love, but we don't send people to hell. We don't judge people. We don't condemn people. The only person who does that is God. And when we do do that, if we're judgmental and condemning people... They're going to do the same thing to us. 
Like I said, on the other hand, if you're very generous and you are in need, there's going to be lots of people that will help you out. And if you're a very forgiving person, when you stumble and fall, people will forgive you. Jesus then tells us you can't fake righteousness. And he uses these examples. He says a blind person can't lead another blind person. They both end up falling down into a pit. In other words, you can't claim to be a Christian, can't claim to be righteous when you're not, and then start trying to teach other people how to be righteous. Because eventually you're going to be exposed and both of you are going to stumble and fall. And then I'll let Jeff Foxworthy tell us this part. He says, if you don't see the log in your own eye while trying to remove the speck in your brother's eye, you might be a hypocrite. And the picture is supposed to be humorous. There is a person with a log coming out of his eye, trying to look into another person's eye, looking at that little speck. I think I can see, I mean, just looking into the eye to see a speck is kind of silly, but the fact he's got a big log coming out of his eye, he can't even see anything anyway. It's supposed to be a ridiculous-sounding looking image because it's ridiculous for us to criticize and to point out sin in people's lives when we have lives ourselves filled with sin. Jesus says, get your life in order first before you start worrying about your brothers and sisters. And isn't it true that often the people who are the most uh, judgmental, they are hypocrites themselves and they are filled with sin. They're, in a sense, faking righteousness. But you can't do that. Then Jesus talks about fruit. You don't go to an apple tree and expect to find an orange or to find a fig. The fruit that grows on a tree comes from the tree. And so Jesus says a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus isn't saying that people are divided into two categories, perfectly good people and horribly evil people. Even the most horrible evil person can do something good. And we all know that we who are, quote, good people, sin and do bad things. But again, the point is you can't fake it. Someone who claims to be a child of God who isn't is eventually found out. Because their true character comes out. And the same is true of us who are Christians. For a time we may be far from God, but our true character will be found and come out. So you can't fake righteousness. You'll either fall into a pit because you really are blind, you're a hypocrite and you really have sin in your life, or you're a bad apple and it will be seen by all. Jesus' teaching went from the kingdom of heaven is at hand to later in his ministry, almost exclusively to his disciples. And in between, there's this period of time where he is teaching to the crowds, but he's teaching in parables rather than plainly. And that's because as Jesus taught and as he did his miracles, there became more and more rejection of him. You would think it would be the opposite. The more he spoke, the more that he did, that more and more people would follow him. But the opposition to him got stronger and stronger as his ministry went on. And so for a time he spoke 
and parables, I want to share one with you for its important lesson. Because one part is hearing and knowing what God's Word is. The other part is acting on it. In the parable of the sower, some people call it the parable of the soils. Really, it's the parable of the listeners. Because in this parable, we learn four different ways we can respond when we hear the Word of God. You know the parable. The parable is a sower who throws seed. Some of the seed falls on a path and therefore gets trampled under and the birds come and pick up the seed and the seed is gone. Some falls into soil that's rocky. There's no moisture, so when the plant comes up, it withers and it dies. Some falls into a place where there's lots of weeds and thorns and they all grow together, but the thorns and weeds overcome and they are choked and died. But the fourth seed falls into a good soil and then it produces a crop 100 times what was planted. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is parable in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, those who are hearing these parables, if they oppose Jesus, would just hear it and go on. But if they wanted to know more and they were wanted to be following Jesus, then as they heard more, they would ask more and Jesus would explain more. So the disciples did come and ask and Jesus did explain it to them. The sower is, is God and the seed is the word of God. But the sower could be any person who's proclaiming the words of God because the focus is on the seed. The seed is the word of God as the word of God is taught, as it's proclaimed, as it's preached. And then there's four different hearers. The one hears it, but Satan comes immediately. And it's almost as though they didn't hear anything at all. Because immediately what is heard is forgotten and nothing happens in their life. Luke says, as Jesus says, they do not believe and they are not saved. The others, the second one, the one that is the uh, rocky soil... They hear, and with joy, they're excited about what they hear. Until life gets hard. Isn't it easy to hear a sermon on Sunday morning and be excited about it? And then you get to work Monday morning, and that doesn't sound the same. It doesn't feel the same. In fact, maybe you've almost forgotten everything that you heard on Sunday morning when life gets real and it gets hard. And so then the message has no effect. And then someone hears it and then they're distracted by the worries of this world, by pursuing the pleasures of this world. And because of the distraction, then the message has no effect. The fourth one is the good soil. The person hears and then they act on it. They believe and they act and then there is fruit. And many times we'll try to focus on the gospel as the only message in play here. And that's not the case. It's not whether we have to figure out when number two is saved or three is saved or four, who is saved. Yes, that is a message we hear and we do respond to the gospel. But this parable is for any time we hear the word of God. And however we hear it, whether we hear it as we read or we hear it in a sermon or we see it in a video, however we hear the word of God, we must respond to it. If we don't, and we get carried away by the worries of life, or we get distracted by how hard life is, 
If these things keep us from doing the word of God, then we have, might as well not listen to it. And Jesus continues, you don't light a lamp and then put a basket over it. You don't go in your house, flip all the light switches on, and then cover up all the lights you just turned on. You don't do that. When we hear the word of God, we act on it, then we share it. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Listen carefully. If we hear God's word, and then we do nothing with it, we do not grow, we do not produce fruit, we basically, it's just like we never listen to it. But if we listen we act on it, we obey it, our faith grows, our knowledge grows, our Christ-like character grows, and then we're hungry for more. And then we get more and we grow on from that and we get, grow in knowledge, we grow in faith, we grow in maturity, and we produce fruit. The last verse I want to give you is this. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Has that ever been you? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. But you don't do the things that Jesus has said to do. Jesus says, why do you do that? You're not acting like a Christian. You're not acting like a child of God. You're acting like an unbeliever. And Jesus says, I'll show you what someone is like. And listen, who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. All three of those are key. Someone who knows where to go, goes to Jesus, goes to the scripture, goes to the word of God. You go there, you hear it, and then you act on it. All three are necessary. You need to go, know where to go, but just going there, going to the Bible itself doesn't do you any good. You've got to listen to it. But listening to it doesn't do you any good unless you act on it. Jesus says the one who does that is like someone who has a house built on solid rock. And then when life comes at you and there's tragedy and there's pain and there's doubt and there's suffering and there's hurt, all this stuff comes, you have a strong foundation because you know the word of God and you've grown and you've matured and you have faith and you have fruit and your life is on a strong foundation and you are safe. The one who hears the word of God but doesn't act on it then becomes a Christian who does not uh, know as much, does not act as much, doesn't have as much faith, isn't as strong, and so when life comes at them, it wipes them out and destroys them. Which one is your life? It doesn't matter how much you hear, how much you watch, how much you read. What matters is how much you obey. How much you act on. If your life looks like a mess, maybe it's time to act on the truth you know and allow God to build that strong foundation. Jesus, we pray now a simple prayer. We have heard a lot of your words this morning, Jesus. And my prayer is that now we would obey them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to those places 
in your word this morning where we have sinned and where we need to repent and we need to follow you. Lord, I pray that all of us would live a life on a strong foundation of biblical truth that we live out in our life. Lord, if it's not so right now, I pray that we would repent and start to build that foundation. Lord Jesus, move us now, Holy Spirit, and may we respond in faith. And I pray this in your name. Amen.